building the soil, getting it to work with its natural processes like microbial activity, as well as better root growth, it only makes sense that if we farm smarter, it's going to be an operation that doesn't need so much input. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. We want to say a special thanks to each of you who have taken the time to review the podcast. And moving forward, we're going to be featuring a review each week. Today's review comes from DIS 46573. And they say, great, awesome folks with an awesome vision and an awesome message. Great job. Thanks, DIS 45673. We really appreciate it. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Rod from A Better Way to Farm, where we spend our days helping growers improve profits and increase yields. We're very blessed today. I am super excited. We have a returning friend, someone who did a couple of podcasts maybe a year or so ago, and they were so well received. We were, Karen and I were sitting and we were talking about what to do, and Karen said, we should get a hold of Dr. Mulvaney again. He's done such a good job. The people loved what he had to say. We got a lot of requests for more information as a result of that. And so it is my honor today to introduce to you from the University of Illinois, Dr. Richard Mulvaney. Welcome to the call, doctor. Well, thank you, Rod, and I'm glad to be back talking with you again. It truly is an honor to have you on the phone, and I have not had the chance yet to meet you in person, but I'm going to make that happen because I very much want to, and uh, we are excited. You know, it's these are interesting times that we live in here. It's mid-March of 2022, and I don't think any of us 16 months ago, and definitely not three years ago, could have foreseen all of the things that were going to transpire, but it has resulted in an awful lot of heartache and hard times for the farmers. And so specifically today, we'd like to talk about combating the high prices and what are some suggestions as to some things that growers can do to make this be a little more equitable, to make this be a little more profitable. So Doc, I don't really bring much to the conversation, but you bring everything to the conversation. So from your perspective, start sharing with us, what do you think that growers can do to reduce their input costs this year and not negatively impact their yield? Well, Rod, the first thing that comes to my mind is to cut back on potash and maybe even cut it out entirely. This is one of the main three fertilizer inputs that farmers typically are going to be buying. But the truth is, for most growers in the Midwest, it's just not going to pay off. My colleague Saeed Khan and I did an extensive survey on this subject back some six or eight years ago. We published a major paper, and I got educated on this in the process and found out that for the vast majority of cases in the Midwest, on typical corn belt soils, potash just doesn't affect yield. It just doesn't affect it because... First, the soil has plenty of potash itself. (laughs) And in fact, as Saeed puts it, the supply is inexhaustible. (laughs) There's so much in the soil profile. So that's going to be working against any profits a farmer might expect to make using potash. His soil has, has plenty. 
Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. Let me explore that. What is the amount of potassium that is in the typical acre of Midwestern dirt? Like how deep has how many pounds of potassium? Well, if we think in terms of the soil profile, then we're talking on the order for a typical Corn Belt soil down to a depth, say, of six feet. We're talking on the order of over 300,000 pounds of potassium. In the plow layer alone, we're talking on the order of 30 to 40,000 pounds. So it's, it's a massive amount of potassium. And you know, actually, this was recognized over 100 years ago here at Illinois by a fellow named Cyril Hopkins. And it turns out that he published a bulletin, or actually a circular on this subject, back in 1915. And his advice there to farmers was that they did not need potash because the soil has everything they need for that element. So how did we get so far off base that now we think we need to put on two, three, four hundred pounds per year? How did we head down that road? Well, I think you'd have to look at the issue of money and financing and a message that shifted toward emphasizing sales and inputs over really serving the farmer. The farmer is the market, and it seems to me that the client became the fertilizer industry. Interesting. Interesting twist when you always used to think the farmer was the client. (laughs) So here we are. We're sitting here today. You're telling us that the plow layer by itself has 15 to 20 ton of potassium in it, that the whole profile has 150 tons in it. So if they're not going to use any, what are some things that they can do to help? You know, How are they going to better access that potassium that's in there? Because obviously some of it is unavailable. The lion's share of it is unavailable. What can they do? What are some tips that they can use? They're going to combat high prices. They're not going to apply any potash. What are they going to do to get Morse K out of their soil? Let's talk about how the plant does extract the K from the soil and what the grower can do to make that better. So the plant is drawing for its immediate source of uptake from the soil solution and from the fraction we call exchangeable. So that's on the soil colloids, and it's going to release potassium from those exchangeable sites into the soil solution. And from there, the plant can take it up. So that's how it works in the short term for root access to soil potassium. But the catch is that those two fractions, the soluble and the exchangeable fractions, are not independent. They're not isolated of two more fractions that contain the bulk of the K in soils. And those other two fractions would be the non-exchangeable fraction between the clay layers, and then the mineral fraction. And that's where you're going to find the bulk of all that profile K is in those two mineral and non-exchangeable fractions. Now, what I did not used to know until I worked with Saeed is that those two fractions that have so much potassium, they resupply the much smaller fractions that are feeding the plant. So they're not independent. And we came across a lot of research that identifies those reserve fractions, non-exchangeable and mineral, 
as being very relevant to plan uptake. And they do that by resupplying the exchangeable and soluble fractions. So, so that's how the, the root system is getting its potassium. Cool. And so is there, are there things that make this so that we can get the non-exchangeable and the mineralized or the mineral fraction? What can we do to facilitate those moving into the soluble and the extractable? One thing we need to, to push for is better rooting conditions. And by that, I mean a soil that is conducive to root growth and root activity. Now, the plant root is going to work toward extracting mineral nutrients from soils, including potassium. And it does that by excreting acidity as it takes up exchangeable bases like potassium. And the acidity actually works to attack the minerals and solubilize the nutrients that are in those minerals, including potassium. So we want a root system that is active and growing. And to help that along, we want a soil that is is loose and has a low bulk density and will get better root growth. The roots will go deeper. And as they go deeper, they extract nutrients and water. Okay. So give me the, I'm going to drill down on this farther. Give me some of the things that you think that they can do to produce this condition of the soil that you're looking for, that it is looser, that is for better suited for rooting. What are the things that the, the growers can do to contribute to that? Well, one of the things that I've seen some real benefits on from experience actually related to Saeed's father-in-law up in northern Illinois, he, he's farming a soil that is heavy textured in the subsoil poor rooting conditions, restricted rooting depth. And what he ended up doing on Saeed's advice was to apply calcitic limestone every year, no matter the pH, every year a ton and a half to two tons per acre, work it in as deep as possible with a tillage tool, and then let it take its course. (laughs) And it sure did. And so what happened was that the areas that he was concerned about having the lowest yield on his farm, pretty soon when he had started applying the calcitic lime, they became the highest yielding areas on the farm. And what was happening there is that the soil was being loosened by the action of calcium building aggregates. It was improving aeration, it was improving drainage, and it was allowing the roots to go deeper. And so what happened was that his soybean yields, which had dropped down to about 20 bushels per acre in the areas where he had had some windmills installed and they'd compacted the soil, he started liming those. And pretty soon, like within a couple years, the ponds that he had been seeing in those compacted areas were no longer apparent. They're gone. The soil was draining. And not only that, the yields, as I said, when they increased in those areas to become the best on his farm, so he gets the idea, boy, this this liming is doing some good. So (laughs) what he did was to begin liming the whole farm every year. And it had a tremendous benefit for him. It increased his soybean yields on a soil that is not that productive. 
the soil series is swigered. And before long, his soybean yields were 60 to 70 bushels per acre. And he was growing soybeans every year. And it worked tremendously well. It turned his farm around. And so before long, his major problem was he didn't have enough bin space. <laughs> and he had to build more bins. <laughs> now, that's so, the problem so, every farmer can work on. He'd like that. So. Boy, isn't that a good problem to have? And so it, it really had a tremendous benefit for him. And so that's why it led, led me to think that liming can be tremendously uh, positive for that kind of a soil. So if you, can get, if you can get the roots down deeper, you have helped yourself tremendously. And now instead of farming a couple feet deep, you're farming down four or five or even six feet. It, it opens up a whole world of uptake for nutrients and water. Well, I have a friend who says that life's really pretty simple. Figure out how it works and get on the right side of it. Today's episode is brought to you by our new partnership with Solar. We're saying goodbye to our electric bill. At the end of 2021, we made the decision to get solar panels. The solar company we have partnered with has made things so quick and seamless. They finished our installation on two of our projects within 24 hours. There are incredible tax benefits and no electric bill. That makes it a win-win. The company we're working with even financed the project at less than 2% interest with no money down. That makes our monthly payment $100 less than our electric bill was. You can get your free quote at www.abetterwaytofarm.com forward slash solar. Again, abetterwaytofarm.com forward slash solar. That's true. And I true. think this is a shining example. You know, we started out here talking about how can farmers combat high prices. Well, one of the things they can do is they can take a look at using no potash. And But if they're going to successfully do that, it's not as simple as not, you know, we took a shortcut. We just decided we're going to not do everything right. We're going to go out here and pack it down. We're going to put more fertilizer on it every year and do more and more and more of that. We're on the wrong side of it, working it wrong. But when we go the other way, when you get this looser soil, now your roots go deeper. That loosens up the soil deeper. The next year they can go deeper than that. And all of a sudden we're putting on the lime. We're doing the aggregates, building the aggregates. The roots are going down, which is only making the soil more loose and adding more organic matter. And all of a sudden, we're on a snowball going the right direction. Do you agree with that? I totally agree with that, Rod. And the benefits don't stop at the plant. So as you loosen the soil and build those aggregates, you are activating the microbial life in that soil. That is so important to cycling nutrients, especially a nutrient like nitrogen. So by building the aggregates, he has made an active soil. He brought life into that soil. And now the whole system is working better. Let me say something here as well, that when Saeed's father-in-law went to this liming program, he, what he stopped applying was potash. <laughs> he replaced potash with lime. And if he had not done that, then the potash itself has the effect of compacting the clay. It collapses the clay layers, and it actually makes the soil denser and harder. So it's exactly the reverse of what you want to do. You want to make it looser and softer. And so that calls for lime, not potash. So if 
correct me if I'm wrong then, we're also going to see benefits in being drought resistant because if that soil is looser, the roots will grow better. We'll be able to get a little deeper. We'll get a little more moisture. Moisture can percolate back up if given the right circumstance. So are we, am I correct that we would see additional benefits here from a, a moisture advantage for the growers too? Absolutely. So when you open up the access to the root system down into the subsoil, you're automatically going to increase moisture availability. No question about it. That's fantastic. Also, I want to go a little further here on something that you said. Let's go back and revisit this deal on the nitrogen. You said we get the soil bacteria working right. We get the life in the soil. And you made a comment about nitrogen. Are you saying there could be some reduction in nitrogen application when we get things working correctly? Absolutely. And so uh, another common source of confusion is the idea that we are relying as the major end source upon the fertilizer we apply, that the fertilizer runs the system, supplies the end, and keeps the plant growing. But the truth is that the soil itself is that major source of nitrogen. And it happens through microbial activities and the, and the cycling of nitrogen. So if we can make conditions more conducive for microbial activity, the soil's going to work better. And that means there'll be less need for supplemental applications of fertilizer in. Now that's not the only aspect to this. And there's an interaction here between potash and nitrogen that I wasn't aware of until we worked on this potassium project. And that interaction arises because most of the potash is applied in the form of MOP or muriate of potash, KCL. It supplies chloride as well as potassium. Well, it turns out that chloride is a competitive inhibitor for nitrate uptake. <laughs> and so when farmers apply both potash and nitrogen as a part of their fertility program, they're actually working against themselves. <laughs> they're applying the fertilizer in, but they're helping to keep the door closed for root uptake by applying potash. And that contributes to environmental problems like nitrate leaching. So it's it's all connected. And And yes, I agree so much with your statement that getting the snowball to go downhill in the right direction gets the system started and it's going to boost profits and reduce input costs. And I think if there was ever a time when we should be looking at being willing to do something different to improve profits, it's 2022. I mean, these are these are unsettled times. I don't see 2023 being a lot better based on the current situation. And I think what we can learn right now and implement could have huge ramifications to our profitability in the next 10 years. So any closing comments? I've already eaten up about 21 minutes of your time, and I'm so grateful for it. But any comments you'd like to make as we close here, Dr. Mulvaney? Well, I think, okay, first of all, I need to say that if farmers are interested in cutting back or cutting out potash, then they might want to start on a small scale and just check it for themselves. So some strip trials where they cut back and don't apply potash compared to their normal application, just to see if there's any effect on yield. In, in all likelihood, there won't be any difference. So that would be a, a safe way to get started on this. 
and then the idea of building the soil, getting it to work with its natural processes like microbial activity, as well as better root growth. It only makes sense that if we farm smarter, it's going to be an operation that doesn't need so much input. As farmers face record fertilizer prices in the current market, that's only going to get more and more critical uh, as we go forward. Absolutely. And the cool part is, you know, you start this year, but you got to start. That's the thing. If we just keep doing what we've always done because we're scared to step out on faith or we're, we're scared to do something, I encourage people that they should take 10 acres and they should do something completely insane with it. I call it trying to drive it off the cliff and just do something very weird to see what they can get. But you, your idea of a strip trial here is a great thing. I tell the guys if they want to test something, spread your fertilizer you're wanting to test crossways and have your yield monitor set on a pretty fine, you know, a bushel and a half to three bushel increments. And if them strips don't show up, we got a problem because it didn't work. And so and, I would like to see that horizontal line. <laughs> one more point I should mention here, and that has to do with the potassium soil test. That test means absolutely nothing. And so farmers shouldn't be misled by seeing maybe a test value that's lower than the critical level. They shouldn't worry about it because that test value doesn't reflect the total potassium supplying power of that soil. It, it's very misleading. So I would ignore potassium soil test results. Uh, it, it just doesn't matter. Awesome. All right. Well, we've given them a lot of things to think about, some stuff to chew on. Dr. Mulvaney, it is such a pleasure to get to work with you on the phone, and I always appreciate the things that you do. And so I'll just uh, say thank you for taking part, and I'll close this up here. But we do appreciate you guys who tune in here to the podcast at A Better Way to Farm. We would encourage you to swing by abetterwaytofarm.com and take the profit calculator and see what you can grab there that will help you make a little more money. We encourage you to go to the Facebook page. Just type in A Better Way to Farm on Facebook and find us there with a lot of videos and things that you'll find interesting, I think, to better your operation. And if you need to talk to us, reach out with a text or a phone call, 641-919-1206. And, hey, we would take it as a big favor if we could get you to give us a rating. Go ahead and give us a review as to what you like about what we're doing. And we thank all of you for tuning in so much. Hope everyone's having a better day. A better way to farm. Dot com. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.